whose heart uh, daily experience, whose mental focus is, is turned toward God. Yeah? Uh, when you read the Psalms, you, you get this idea that uh, this, this, this person who's writing this is con- constantly expressing uh, his, uh, his, uh, his thoughts, his meditations, and is constantly trying to put down what he's feeling even as he's walking with the Lord. And so much can happen when you, 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 you separate the, your true life, your true uh, feelings from the Lord, and you make everything about X, whatever X may be. It, we need to be, as, as Christians who, who follow in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the ideal of the psalmist, we need to be people who are expressing and contemplating uh, God in our daily experience. We need to be tasting and seeing that He is good, as it were. We need to be walking with Him. And when you, when you think about the law, right? when you think about these commandments that we've been looking at, there needs to be a spark in your mind that this is the most beautiful most wholesome, most intact set of commandments I've ever seen. If you approach the commandments with purely a cerebral bent, you're, you're missing something. If you look at God's commandments and you do not see uh, a beautiful field with a great choice of fruits, with wonderful trees, a serene picture of rest, if all you're seeing is things to do, or if all you're seeing is, is, a, is some set of rules to check off, there's something you're missing. The, the law of God is much more than just the rules for us to obey. The law of God, if once your mind and your heart are properly calibrated to God, once you're properly thinking about God in the way that you should, they become as sweet as honey. I'm saying this because when we've been looking at all these laws, there's, there's many temptations. The one temptation on the one side, you're looking at this law and you think, how on earth can I keep this? And you're busy focused on how can I keep this? The other temptation uh, to, to think about uh, when you're looking at the, uh, at, the, at the laws is to say, well, thankfully Christ kept it, so I don't have to keep it. Thankfully, Christ is the one who did it, so I don't have to worry about these too much. And both of these, while they're both true, uh, are not the, the ideal. The ideal, uh, what, the law is, what, you, what the law is supposed to uh, produce in you, if your heart was properly calibrated, the ideal expression, the ideal attitude, the ideal thought process about the law is what we find in Psalm 19. Turn with me for a second to Psalm 19. So I want to show you where our hearts need to be. This is where, in all of our study of God's law, we, our hearts need to respond in love. But when I say love, you reformed people must not come at me with love is a verb. Okay? We know love is a verb. 
But in the Psalms, love is way more than that. If you reduce love for God, affection for God, to just purely a verb, you, you are living an extremely reductionistic life, and your life might be extremely legalist, legalistic. What you see in the psalmist is an affection that connects with God. The psalmist spills over in, in poetry, expressing his deep love. He wants to be with the Lord. And when he sees the law, he does not think first verb. He thinks affection. And the affection that rises, that comes out of him, spills over in the words that he writes in Psalm 19. He talks about, general, he talks about revelation in 19. In, in Psalm 19, he talks first about general revelation. The revelation that is in, is in the world as God created everything. And then he talks specifically about the law of God as it has been written down for us. And I want to show, let's read this, uh, read this and I want, to, I want you to see this. His, his, uh, how his heart responds as he sees God writing about himself. And God writing how, uh, what we are to do, how we are to live. He begins by speaking about general revelation. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. You're looking at the, at the, at the heavens and you're thinking, wow, God is powerful. The psalmist is seeing through that. He's saying God is glorious. You're looking at, at, at the things that are created. You're like, wow, God must be clever. The, 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 the psalmist it goes beyond that. He says, this is glorious. What kind of a person did this? You see this? The skies declare the glory, the majesty of God, the weight of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. And then he turns his his, 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 his attention to the law of God specifically. It says the law of God is perfect. And what does it do? Reviving the soul. His soul is revived by the perfect law of God. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. When the psalmist looks at what the Lord has written, he's seeing it not so much as a bunch of laws, He's seeing it as, here's a fountain where the simple may be made, might be made wise. If you are simple, if you, if you lack sense, if you lack direction, here's a place to go swim in and you'll come out wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You see where he's going with this? Revives the soul rejoices the heart. When you hear, do not covet, do not murder, do not commit adultery, this should rejoice your heart. This should revive your soul. The commandment of the Lord is pure. There's no impurity in it. It's like you, 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 look, at, 
You see some of those videos when they, when they test diamonds. And it's like it, they're looking for the faintest little micromillimeter of, of, of imperfection. And they find none. This thing is, is pure. It's crystal. It's clear. That's the idea here. There's absolutely no, no blemish in it. In, and, it, and so in its purity, its effect on us is that it enlightens us. We have blemishes. We have darknesses. We have blind spots. And this pure thing, this, this treasure of a thing, the, the law of the Lord, the testimony, the precepts of the Lord, this thing just clarifies things and makes us see. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Those who respond to the Lord by doing His word, they, they, they have what, something in them that is clean, that endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. I don't, I don't even understand the weight of this. You are to, more, you are to desire the rules of the Lord more than you desire what allows you to get food in your stomach. You are to desire this, this, this thing, this thing that, we're, that we've been studying. You are to desire it and yearn for it and pant for it like a deer more than you pant for food. Because what is gold? Gold is just a means to an end. Gold, nobody likes gold because they like gold. Gold is a means to an end. Gold brings clothes to your back. Gold brings a roof for your, over your head. And you are to desire this more than they. And he says, even much fine gold, even the wealth of it, it's nothing compared to this pure, enlightening thing that we are to desire in our hearts of hearts. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. I don't know if you've ever had honey in your life. Have you ever had honey? Can you imagine anything sweeter? Maybe a cook sister. But, but it is, the idea here, I mean, I know you guys live in the 21st century, so sweetness and sugar are things that are shunned on. <laughs> but just, just work with me here. The idea here is that this, this, the, the, the taste of the Word of God to those who are regenerate when it lands on their mouth is sweeter than honey. It's sweeter than the sweetest thing you can imagine. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. These laws warn us, they keep us, they hedge us. That's why I've been using this, this analogy that they are guardrails, trying, to, trying to, to go over them and live another way is dangerous. This is a warning. You need to live within them because here is where enlightenment is found. Here is where true life is found. Here is where wisdom is found. I, I'm, I'm saying this just as we, as we close our time in the, in the commandments today because it would be really, uh, we would lose something if we do not see the, the commandments this way. And if you don't see them this way, if... if if when you think about the commandments and you read them, they don't strike you as, as pure honey 
as sweeter than honey. They don't strike you as, as, uh, as something that you are to desire more than your very subsistence. Then I'll suggest to you uh, that you are to pray that the Lord would help you in that direction. There is a slavery that you put yourself into when you want to keep the commandments of the Lord without connecting your heart to the Lord. There is a slavery there where you are looking at them not as these wonderful, joyous things come from my Father each day to direct me and give me life, to give me wisdom, to sustain me. You're not looking at them as your sustenance. I'd much rather not eat today. I'd much rather have this. If, if, if there's none of that fire flicking in you, pray to that end. Because you might be living a seriously laborious slavery mentality in your Christianity. You might truly be a Christian. It's possible that you are a Christian. But you are so far removed from walking with God in a practical sense. You are just trying to keep a veneer. You're, you, you, you're keeping him at an arm's length. You're trying to keep the laws and you're trying to do this. You're like Martha, not sitting at the feet. Sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Connect your heart to him. Glean from him. Stop in the morning. And this is just, again, this is just a bonus, okay, on the side. We're talking about this with some of the guys on Wednesday. And I thought, oh, let me just give it to you for free. When you're doing your daily devotions in the morning, please put aside all these commentaries. Okay? Put aside all these massive commentaries and all these word Bible studies. This is not the time for that. You can read that later on. But if you're, if you're waking up in the morning and you want to connect, you want to taste and see the Lord is good, you want to meditate and read, you read a small chunk of Scripture, you read a chunk of Scripture, however big, and you, you pray and you connect with your Father. This is not a time for, for, for having, studying Greek words and doing all this massive Bible study in the morning. This is a time for fellowship with your Father in heaven. It's a time to walk with Him, to hear from Him. So let me just encourage you to, to even as you read them, as you read them daily and you go through the Word daily, do not make it a laborious thing where you need an hour and five books and Google. Please, just get rid of all of them. Read your scripture. Read over it and say, My Father, teach me what, am, what can I learn today? How can I, how can I follow you? Read it. Attempt to understand it and pray. It's much better to read and then pray it, to get, pray it back to God, connecting your heart with Him. That's the daily meditation that we're called to. Rather than to spend a whole hour doing this study and that study and that study and at the end of it, you, you've got a fat head and a shrunken heart. I'm being serious. This is, this is, this is, this is fellowship. We have been, we've been drawn in. We've been called into the courts of the almighty God to walk with Him. So walk with Him. Don't treat His Word in a manner that He never needed, meant for you to treat it. His Word is supposed to be sweet to you. Don't make it a labor. Don't add laws for yourself in your study of God's Word, in your, especially your daily study. I mean, you, you, can, you can have all your books and study later on in the day and do your hectic Bible studies, but in the morning, when you're praying to your Father in Heaven, connect 
make sure that the key thing is that you're praying, you're connecting, you're meditating on God's word uh, rather than making this a laborious slave thing. Are you with me? Okay. All of that aside, let's get into this. The... The... um, this last commandment uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a commandment in, that goes directly in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that the other commandments, the other commandments of course require this, um, but this one, what is being prohibited here is a heart, it's specifically a heart action. Okay? So the other ones had more so just physical, uh, 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 physical, uh, what, what can I say here? Uh, uh, physical manifestations. Don't murder. Okay? The primary, like, don't kill someone. Uh, don't, don't be a false witness. Don't go and lie about someone, physical. Uh, uh, don't steal. Don't take something that belongs to someone else. Uh, don't uh, honor your parents, okay? Which means honor them. Do do things that honor them. But here's one that de- that is exclusively something in your heart. Of course, we'll draw it out to sh- see the, the the physical manifestations of it. Of course, but this is precisely just him directing, forbidding a heart attitude. You see this? Do not covet. Yeah. And, and this is, it actually caps, it shows that all of them have a deeper meaning. All of them have a, a heart attitude. Hence, the Lord Jesus Christ comes and shows that they actually all have a heart attitude. But this one, there's no way you can physically prosecute someone for this. There is no law in Israel for coveting to kill you or to, oh, you coveted your, your neighbor's wife. You were in your room, you were coveting your neighbor's wife. Now we're going to chop off your fingers. There's there's no law like that. This is purely heart. It's a a purely a heart thing, which actually sets the tenor for the the other ones. And so when we're talking about coveting, I I, I wanted to ask this as a question, but then I I realized that there's no real reason to ask this, because I think coveting is obvious. Coveting is wanting something that is not yours. Yeah? Rather simple. It's wanting something that is not yours. Passionately so. This is not talking about aspiration. Okay? Here's someone who's gotten their degree in this particular field and done wonderful things in this field. Um, That is admirable and I'd like to emulate that. Or here's a Christian who really imitates Christ, like Paul. Here's the Apostle Paul. He really, his life is really Christ-like. I want to aspire to that. Uh, that's, not what talk, that's not talking about that. That's not talking about uh, just uh, aspiration. This is talking about coveting, wanting to take something that belongs to someone else. Uh, wanting to have something that is not yours. The, the, the particular parameters of this is that this thing is forbidden. It's not yours. This is, this is sometimes people... Um, I'll mix this in with envy. It's not exactly the same as envy. Um, uh, envy can be a bit inane, where you're just envious uh, that someone has something. Like, oh, wow, you have that. Well, I wish I had that. 
You're comparing yourself, you're envious. Coveting is, you have that, I want that. You see the difference? You have, this is your wife, I want your wife. Not that I want a wife. <laughs> okay? Envy, envy is, I want a wife. Oh, wow, I want a wife too, or I want a husband too. But coveting is, I want, no, I want your wife. Or I want your husband. See? So it's much more demonic. It's much more earthy. Okay? It's much more detestable. Envy is also detestable, and the scriptures speak about that. And of course, it is a cousin of coveting. It's connected, along with jealousy. Those are in the same WhatsApp group. But, but this one is the most despicable of them all. Because this one says, I want to take what belongs to you and enjoy it for myself. Discuss. I said to the first two groups, discuss as many reasons as you can for why we do this. Why do we covet? Why do we want stuff that belongs to other people? First two groups, please stand up, explain, discuss. Tell us, what did you guys say? Oh, you want the mic? No. Oh. <laughs> So that's, those are all a whole bunch of things like jealousy, uh, impatience, I really like that one. Um, um, go ahead, group, group two, what did you guys say on that first question? Is, uh, is what the old preachers uh, would have called the raising at the fist at God. Um, you see, envy is like that. Discontentment is like that. You're saying, why didn't you give me this? But the reason this is a raising of the fist at God, when you want something that specifically someone else has, not just that you're envious of it, that you, you wish you had something like that, but you want it specifically. You're saying, you know what? You've given it to that person. Watch me take it. Yeah? Um, at the heart of it is this, is this, is this uh, uh, self-importance uh, where the needs of your neighbor, uh, the fact that your neighbor has this, your friend has this, whatever, uh, means nothing to you. Okay? It's all about you. 
your, your desire for what this person has has been elevated to an idolatrous degree. Where you must have that and only that. doesn't matter whose hand it's in. It is demonic. You need to destroy it. If, if you have any feeling like that of wanting something that belongs to somebody else, you need to kill it. Fight. That is a war. That is a declaration of war. And one of you is going to die, either the desire or you. Fight. And let me tell you how this looks like. How do, in what way then can I, do I covet something that does not belong to me? You know that you covet something that does not uh, belong to you. Um, when you when you find yourself making excuses for taking things that don't belong to you. Let me make an example. Those of you who are dating, be very careful. Because there is a pride in there where you now claim that this person is yours. But let me tell you, you're just dating. Person is not yours. Okay? Are you with me? Yeah, I'm told him I don't need. Yeah. This person is not yours. Not until God, not until God has said you are now man and wife and you've been declared man and wife. Before then, you can't claim this person is yours. Which means then you can't take things that belong to this person's spouse. You can't take things from this person that belongs to this person's spouse. They are not yours. Are you with me? You are covetous when you take something that is not yours. Now, that's when we see it physically. But we know that you are covetous when... It's one way that helps us. Once you land there at taking something that's not yours, then you know, oh, the sin now that I'm actually dealing with is covetousness. So now let's take a step back. How do I diagnose myself with covetousness before I take it? Because again, it's do not covet your neighbor's wife or their donkey and whatnot. By the way, if anybody here covets a donkey... <laughs> Okay, look, it was a different context. So in this case, coveting your, your neighbor's donkey is like coveting your neighbor's laptop. You know what I mean? Something that they use for income. Um, so, so, so how do you diagnose that you have covetousness? Um, there's no joy at the other person's joy in you. Okay, you're a Christian. What are you commanded to do in Romans 12? Weep with those who weep and... Rejoice with those who rejoice. There's no joy in you, though. Here's a person, they come and they have their WhatsApp status couple announcement. <laughs> and when you like, you, you just quickly scroll by. Okay? 
Now, that could be a sign of many things. It could be a sign of discontentment on your part, just inane discontentment, okay. Could be a, a sign of envy, that's true. Could be a sign of a number of things, but one of the things it's a sign of is that you're coveting what this person has. Perhaps, you know, you are eyeing that person for yourself. <laughs> and then you're like, ah! There, but, but I mean, that's just like a silly example, but I think you get what I mean. There's a, there's, a, there's a lack of joy at the other person's joy. This other person is joyful because they have their donkey. And this is a healthy donkey. Whether you might have a donkey, but your donkey is broken, it can't jump. But this donkey does everything it's supposed to. And then you look at this donkey and you, and you, you can't rejoice at the fact that this person... This farmer is making more profit out of their useful donkey than you are. That could be a sign of covetousness. Number two, anger. Okay? Anger. Like proper, proper detesting and resentment of, of your neighbor because they have a specific thing. And how do you know that it's connected specifically to the specific thing? Well, you, didn't really, you weren't really angry at your neighbor, but as soon as they started wearing those glasses, it just started doing stuff to you. Yeah? Ladies, as soon as this, this fellow lady ha bought this dress, and it works so well on her, you're like, mm. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I'm not a lady, so it doesn't. Okay. Uh, but you weren't, you weren't angry before, you, had, you didn't really, you maybe weren't even thinking about this person before, you weren't even, there was just no thoughts, and then all of a sudden now, there's a serious resentment, and a detesting of this person, and an anger, palpable anger within your heart that's throbbing. You know that lump that gets in your throat? You know that lump in your throat? When you're angry, and you're like, you can't explain it? Could be a sign of covetousness. You want... You, 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 maybe you, you went to someone's, you went somewhere and everybody was busy rejoicing because somebody had something and then you like, you were like, you're like oh, and then you start, you smiled there and then you left and then all of a sudden you had a lump on your throat. You're like, what, why? Even when you were smiling, it was like with just your face, not with your eyes. You know, you know that smile? You know that, you know that smile, the one that doesn't have the eyes. You know, you know that smile? That smile, you're like, wow, oh, wow, wow, it works, wow, it really works. Oh, wow. It could be a sign. Now, it's not an exclusive sign of covetousness, it could be a sign of a whole host of other things. Jealousy, like I said, envy, discontentment, etc. But it could also be a sign of covetousness. And my, and my, and my charge to you, dear saints, is to fight it at the source. Deal with it right there, right there, head on, you're with me. Don't let it fester. Deal with it. Confess it to the Lord. And you know what really helps with this particular thing? With, with, with this rising of covetousness. The thing that really helps, I find, is talking to somebody else about it. There, there are a number... You know when Jesus says, this demon doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting? Well, you can take that same idea. Certain sins... Certain hard attitudes need to be confessed to another human being for them to be completely destroyed. And don't choose the human being who's going to be 
there coveting with you. <laughs> Don't choose the human being whom you know is going to like, yeah, but, but, but you know, he was really talking to you for such a long time. Why is he now with her? Don't be to the person who's going to fuel the problem and put fuel on the fire. Go to the person whom you know is going to slap you and set you straight. And be like, no, man. Okay? Rejoice. What does the scripture say? You're coveting. You need to repent. Stop it. Let's pray now. Let's pray together now that the Lord would, would help you to get over this. Because this is, this is an affront. This is a breaking of the law of God. To be angry, detesting that God has given a specific thing to somebody else. It is, it is an affront to God. It's raising your fist at him. And we, we need to deal with it. So, uh, that's one way. And I, I found, personally, I found that, that that to be a cathartic thing where I speak to somebody else and it, it can just, it can come out. You can, you can deal with it. Uh, it's just like, you know, that makes sense. Because like, what's happening? When you're coveting, here's the thing. When you're coveting or when you're dealing even with envy, jealousy, etc., What's happening is that there's voices in your head, right? And, 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 and at that moment, you're not listening to the biblical voice. You're listening to yourself. You're listening to the flesh. So at that moment when you're, when you're envying and coveting or, or discontent, you're listening to yourself. You're not talking to yourself, Scripture. So you need someone who's going to come to you and be like, but you're being foolish. You see what I'm saying? You need someone else outside of you, objective. Do not go to your friend who's going to take your side. Go to the friend who's the true friend, the one who's going to come at you with God's word. You with me? That's just one particular solution that I'd suggest. Um, <clears throat> okay, group uh, one and two, discuss with me the effects of coveting other people's things. And I said, consider specifically its effect on our relationship to God, its effect on our relationship with the ones whom we covet, and its effect on us. Go ahead. What did you guys say? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. Um, one of the things that happens when you are feeding sin um, uh, is that you have a, at that moment your prayer life can become idolatrous or non-existent. By this I mean this: it can become idolatrous in that you know that there is a problem, but you're going to pray to God as if there is no problem. Are you with me? So, if you are busy coveting some, something from someone, and then you sit down and you say, Lord, thank you for this food, who do you think you're talking to? Do you think there's only a, a department for food in heaven? <laughs> oh, okay, he's prayed, he's, thought, he's thanked me for his food, but there's still that coveting thing that he hasn't dealt with, so let's put that aside. He's thanked me for his food so we can continue on with life. This is a relationship. This is walking with him. This is an organic... This is God who cannot be mocked. But when you're here, thank you for this ice cream. No, no. You, 
you, you deal with the issue. And it, it's idolatrous because you're trying to split God or you, you're, you're thinking as if God is like compartmentalized or you, you're creating a different God. When you're praying and continuing praying and you're waking up in the morning, you read your scripture, you're praying, but you, there's an issue that you're avoiding and the Spirit of God is pressing on your heart. You know what it does when it presses it on your heart. He's pressing it on when you're busy avoiding. Rather, follow what the psalmist does. Bring it to him. If the Lord is still bringing it to your, to your mind, to your remembrance, if he's bringing it to your remembrance that this is an issue you haven't dealt with, then each time you go to him, bring it to him. Each talk about it to him. Confront it. Say, Lord, I'm not where I should be with this issue. Please help me. Grant me by your, by your spirit to overcome this. Enable me to overcome this. Do not create a, you know, because what it is, is it's, it's a, this becomes really quickly evident once you get married. Because what can happen is there's a, there's a, there's a tiff, there's an issue that happens between you and your spouse. And now you need to find a way to function. Okay, the day still goes on, there's still kids, there's still things that need to be done, but there's a real issue there. So you can just choose, let's just ignore this. Okay, we both know that there's no fellowship right now between us. Let's just ignore this and let's deal with the, dif with the different things. Let's do the dishes, let's do everything as if everything is normal. That's what you're doing with God. When you're, when you're praying every morning as if everything is fine, when you know that there's an issue. There's no true fellowship. And until you sit down and you deal with the issue and you, and you confront it head on, there isn't really a true fellowship. So don't, don't, so don't do that with the Lord. Uh, when there's an issue there, just bring it out to Him. If you know that, the, that it requires that you go and, and talk to somebody else to fix it, go and talk to somebody else. You remember the Lord Jesus says, don't bring something to the altar when you know that your brother has something against you. Put your gift before you get, put your gift there by the door. Go to your brother, sort the issue out, and then come back. And then your sacrifice will be acceptable. Are you with me? We need to stop playing fast and loose these games that we play with God. And I'm, I'm saying this to you because, I mean, I myself, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm the worst offender. We, 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 we have these attitudes that, these things that, that, that grow, that these patterns of behavior in our hearts. And we need to deal with them and call them what they are. It's idolatry. So it's either you can have that idolatry when you're dealing with, when you're busy coveting and God is telling you about it and you're not, you're, you're ignoring him, so you, you can make it an idolatrous thing, or you can go to the other side where you just don't pray. Okay, and that's the same, that's worse. Yep. I'm not understanding. So you... you so say, um, have, like, um, a cell phone. A cell phone. Okay. And then I take it to the Lord and I 
Okay, you pray about it and the Lord work, helps you through it. that's a hot issue. Maybe what that might be revealing is that you really just were coveting rather than actually having a need for the thing. Because what, 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 what happens is this actually, is that um, uh, we, you know how C.S. Lewis puts this, right? C.S. Lewis says we're so easily pleased. We, we think that these trinkets and things out there are going to make us feel a particular way. And then we get them, and then there's like a shallow, hollow feeling, right? Because the thing is not it. So you're busy when I'm wanting this thing so badly, and you think this thing is it, and then you get it, and then you're like, yo, <laughs> this thing is not it. So it, it's, it's less about that, uh, a coveting. It's less about, um, it, it, is, it, is, it is a heart issue, but a different kind. A heart issue where you just need to learn to understand that contentment uh, um, is... Is, does not care about the situation. Contentment is, is contentment in whatever situation you're in. Whatever God has put on your plate, you always to be content with that. And wanting other things, expecting those things to add some joy or happiness to your life, you will be shocked. So that's, that, that's all that is, yeah? Uh, did, did I answer your question? Okay. Um... Its effect on our relationship with the one whose things we coveted. Uh, oh, what? You, sorry, what did you guys say? Aleto, Leko. Great. Can I give you the next two first, and then we'll come to first group? What is it? What is our effect on the one on the on our relationship to the one whose things we covet? Yep. Yes. You put on the mask. What you actually see when you think about the effect of this thing, based on what, even just what you're saying, the effect of covetousness in our hearts, if we let it fester and we let it grow, it will end up, it will 100% guaranteed lead us to breaking one of the other commandments. This is not a sin that likes to, to go alone. It, it likes friends, you know, it likes to have a party, this, this particular sin. So when you allow covetousness to fester and these conversations of jealousy and envy all put together against this one particular person and their thing that they have, it's going to lead to deception, which is a breaking of which commandment? Discussed it last time. Uh, it's, going, it's, it's going to lead, according to James, in James chapter 4, it's going to lead to murder. Remember James says that? Why are you guys squabbling and scratching each other's faces like little children and quarreling among yourselves and then scratching and screaming? Why? It's because you desire and you do not have. So then you're, you're squabbling and fighting. Yeah. 
coveting is going to, if you allow covetousness to grow, it is 100% of the time going to affect your relationship with that person. It is not going to become a neutral thing. There's going to be an affecting, and that affecting is not going to be positive. It's not going to be a positive affecting. Uh, and so we really, you really, you really need to stay away from covetousness as much as you can. And when you fall in it, when you find yourself um, tempted to covet, when you find yourself coveting, deal with it decisively. Do not let it stay a night. You know how scripture says, do not let the sun go down on your anger? I would add to that, do not let the sun go down on your covetousness. At least start dealing with it. Do something. Don't just, let, don't just go to sleep with knowing that you want something that somebody else has. Do something. Start dealing with it. You might not be able to do the whole thing. Maybe even just sending a voice note to your friend on WhatsApp could, could have the cathartic confession that we need, that you need. Just do something to fight it. Don't just go to sleep knowing that you're angry that somebody else is happy. You with me? Um, oh yeah, group one, what did you guys say in terms of its effect to the relationship of those whom we covered? Nice for you to code it, but okay. <laughs> uh, and what is its effect on us? Yeah. 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 Um, so I want, you to, I want you to think about it this way um, you know how Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 if I'm correct or chapter 8 he says that all the sins that a person does are outside of the body yeah but then sexual immorality deals with the body it's because uh, you're uniting yourself with a prostitute, he says, in that example. And so hence, that one's a, gree it's a grievous sin because you're taking the temple of the Lord and uniting it. Um, it defiles you, okay, sexual immorality. And, it, and in one sense, it defiles your flesh in a way that other sins don't. Um, covetousness defiles your psyche. Covetousness defiles the way you think. Covetousness, to desire something that somebody else has and want that thing to be yours such that this other person doesn't have it is a breakdown of the human condition. Human beings are not designed to think that way. It messes you up. If you live a life of continuous covetousness, coveting this 
coveting this, coveting that, coveting that, coveting that, your thought processes are going to be affected. You're not going to think straight because everything for you is just about what you want. And it doesn't matter who has what you want. You're not a, you know, this, this, this English term, a well-adjusted human being, okay? Meaning that you're able to, to, to exist in society. Well, you're not a person who can exist in society. Have you ever seen um, some of those, uh, I mean, this is, I know this is a cliche, but I mean, I've, you've seen enough of these videos, perhaps, or, or even these, uh, or just even in media, these people representing, the, 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 the thing about a, a rich kid who, like, doesn't really, like, have any, doesn't really respect people, laughs at people, doesn't really respect, like, he's just like, because he's rich, he's used to getting everything uh, that he wants whenever he wants it, and it's even worse when the parents are just never there, this person's always under guardians that, that give them what they want, and this person went to boarding school, so they, you, you know what I'm trying to describe, this person who just doesn't know how to really treat human beings as human beings, you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's this, Okay? He, he's warped by another thing. He's warped by self-reliance and etc. There's other, and of course, a lack of discipline. So there's a whole lot, host of things that have warped him and changed his mind. But in the same way, a life of covetousness. Okay, I'm not talking about aspirations. I'm not talking about ambitions. You with me? I'm not talking about the future. Thinking, wanting to be a person who contributes or wanting to be somebody who has things so that you can give to your family or what, or, or just, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a person who looks at what somebody else wants, has, and says, I want that. That, that will mess you up. You will not be able, you, you are not working as a human being. Gila? So that's a complex issue, okay? Precisely because um, uh, in the way that we're designed by the Lord, our affections, particularly from our mothers when we're young, is a massive deal. The Lord designed us in such a way that our mothers nurture us um, and, um, and we, we have a place to cry to. Our dads too, if they know what they're doing. But, but um, more so, the Lord has designed that nurture that we need from mothers. And so when we don't have that, I mean, even the scripture says in Isaiah 49, the Lord uses a mother as an example. He says, he says um, will a mother forget the child that, that nurses on her breast? Um, the Lord Jesus uses a hen. Okay, he doesn't use a rooster, a rooster he uses a hen. Well, how I wished I would, like a hen, just gather you together like chick, oh, chicks are in, around me. So... So that is a complex thing because we need that, see? Um, but I, I want to say that any sinful response is still sinful, even though it is instigated by outside things, okay? So a sinful response is still sinful. 
And this is, this is where it becomes complex in life because there are certain situations where it's clear that this person really should, this person needs this. You should have given this person this. Um, but this person's response to not getting what they need, they'll be judged for even. You see? So there, there's, a, there's a complexity there where, where and, and especially for a child, it's even way more complex. I'd, I'd be a bit careful there because, you know, a child needs to have that safety that, um, and if they're not getting it, but it is actually covetousness, and it, can, it is envy, definitely. Um, so, I mean, because you can take that same idea and say, okay, well, we all need a roof over our head. But if it happens for a particular day that I don't have a roof over my head, I can't now covet other people's roof over their heads. You see what I'm saying? But, again, on the other hand, the child is in the formative years, so it is complex. Uh, um, uh, I'm going a bit in circles here, but uh, let me just leave it at a, a sinful response is still sinful, even if it is instigated by other situations. Yeah. Shannon? So it's still, it's still a sinful response. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of what we've said applies um, if the child responds in hate. The ch- I mean, I think when a child is able to hate, I mean, most children, like, at really, really unformative level, they don't, they're like, they're, they're so small that all they know and what to do is cry and need love. Um, so when a child is at the age where they're able to actively do what we can call hate, then they're responsible and culpable. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Where were we? Okay. Next groups. Okay, so I wanted us to spend more time on, on coveting because that's what this is about. But this, this particular command comes twice. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbors. And then he goes on. So he's looking at these things as a par- parallel, it's the same thing, but now he uses a different word, a, a word that is different from just coveting, it's desire. So groups three and four, I asked you to come up with a comprehensive definition of a desire. What would you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's wanting to have something. Yeah. So to you, To desire so strongly what? That you don't currently have. Yeah. Yeah. Um. If I were to ask you this question, uh, would you say the the seat of desire is the mind or the heart? What would you say? The the eyes. (laughs) That's good. That's actually actually biblical. Well done. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, you, you see and then... But even blind people, 
can desire stuff. So, <laughs> um, so the, the, the seat of desire is the heart, right? It's, uh, desire, is, uh, desire is strong, it's emotive, it's holistic, it is cerebral because you want a thing and you know what that thing is, hence it is cerebral. But its seat is in the heart. It's in the inner man, the scripture uses. It's in the inner man. You, you want something. Uh, and so, are desires controllable? What do you guys say? We can start with that group. What do you guys say? Are desires controllable? Okay. I get you. Yeah, what'd you guys say? Precisely the verse you need to think about when you think about this. Keep your heart. Okay? Uh, desires are controllable. You can't say, especially as a believer, I appreciate this distinction that you guys are making between believers and unbelievers, because for Romans chapter 6 tells us that we have an ability that unbelievers don't have. We have an ability to say no to sin uh, because we have, we have the resurrection power living within us. Uh, <clears throat> so, especially for us then, as believers, desires are controllable. Otherwise, there can be no command that says, do not desire X. Are you with me? So, you, you, I mean, you have to think about this. You, the way that the world speaks about desires is like, it's just something that's just so, it's moving, it's ungrabbable, it's fleeting. It's the way they, it's, it, you think about the way they talk about love. They talk about love like it's just like this wonderful thing that just like hits you and love at first sight. Or it just like, it just comes and it grabs you and you just need to go with it. No. Okay. Unbiblical. Desires must come under God. Desires must bend the knee to God. You with me? If you have, and, and, and let me, I want to push this, okay? I want to push this so that you can actually see. Uh, there's a massive debate uh, happening currently in Christendom about homosexuality. And the debate is this, is that, is it a sin uh, that someone has these desires? Or is the sin just that they practice? Okay? 
They say, is it, it's the sin is the, the sin, some say the sin is just the fact, is just not practicing. You can go around calling yourself a gay Christian, having those desires, just don't, just do not act on them. You with me? They say that this is an orientation. You oriented this way. Hence, therefore then, you should just think of it as just some, some desires that you have that, that you need to just live with. But the, when I read the scripture, the scripture seems to say to me often and always that we are able and capable of desiring things that we should not. You with me? And so the desire itself is a sin. Okay? If I'm a single guy, okay, and I, I, uh, I desire marriage, just as an idea, and I desire marriage as a woman, to a woman, just as an idea, that desire is good and beautiful and given to me by God. It's, it's a pre-fall ordinance. Okay? It came before the fall. So that desire is good and wonderful and biblical. If I desire a woman to marry, if me, as a married man, I desire another woman to enjoy, that desire is sinful. You with me? Are you, are you seeing this? So if I, as a man, married or otherwise, sorry, single or otherwise, desire another man to marry, that, that is me desiring something that, is a, that, is after, that comes from the fall. I'm desiring sin, depravity. I might as well desire to rob a bank. Not desire money, but desire to rob a bank. You see the difference? Money is fine. Robbing a bank is not. You see? So your my point is this. Your desires are controllable. They must bend to God. And when you think about people who, who the fall has affected them such that they, they, des, that, they, that, that they desire to be with someone of the same gender, you realize that a desire is something that can go really deep into who you are. And it, it really goes, it really, it's, I mean, it can be really holistic. And it is powerful in that. Okay, it's not just we, it's a powerful thing. But even that holistic, controlling desire must bend the knee to God if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You with me? So let me, so... I mean, I've just used one massive issue. That's a, it's a huge thing. The people who are um, same-sex attracted. It's a huge thing. And I know, we know Christians, godly people. I know Christians, godly people, who love the Lord and have to live with fighting against that disease every day of their lives. You'd be surprised if I told you there's a member of this church like that, wouldn't you? You would be. Because it's a fight. God calls us to serious things. I've actually asked him to come and speak to you guys at some point, and I think he will. He... No, he's here. I'm, I'm, I'm telling the truth. He's actually going to come. 
No. No, no, no. No, I know, I know, I know. It was like I was setting it up and then, no, no. No, I'm, I'm being truthful. And that man can tell you how he, he, ha- he has to deal with that on a daily basis. But the Lord Jesus gives him grace to fight. So here's, a, here's someone who's fighting a serious issue. Serious. Has to live a life of celibacy. Fighting this thing properly. And when you're busy festering in your heart about somebody's iPhone. Something that's here today, gone tomorrow. About another... You see what I'm saying? I'm, try, I'm trying to show you that God requires us to completely bend our entire being to Him. And there are examples of faithfulness among us. People who have serious brokenness in them, and yet they are faithfully following Him with the strength that God provides. Bye-bye, sister. See you next year. (laughs) She's leaving for the year. Her bus is at 9.30. Um... Um, so, let me just use this just to encourage you to fight your desires. Are you with me? Fight them. Don't, 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 don't think that a desire is something that can like, is, is just because a desire has come and it's there, you need to just live with it. Baba, fight. I don't care how pretty she is. I don't care how deep his voice is. Fight. Are you with me? Okay? Fight. This is war. Fight. Fight. Your desires must bend the knee to Jesus Christ. And that is how you communicate to the principalities and powers, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. This is how you communicate to the principalities and powers that God reigns. That God is way, is way better than anything else. That's how you communicate it. By fighting those desires that come at you every single day. Where do those desires come from? They come from you, James tells us. They don't come from God, they come from you. You produce them because you have fallen flesh. So your daily task is to fight your fallen flesh. You with me? Please, dear saints. Uh, we, I, I, I just, the reason I'm, I'm reading, I want to I hit on this. Because there's just, there's just especially in, in like my generation, you know, the... My generation, the millennials and, the, and then the Gen Z, there's just, there's just this thing about just going with the flow. Like, just, like, there's just, just like, there's just no standing properly, standing upright, straightforward, going forward in the right way. There's just, this, just like this, just a bunch of just malleable, like it feels this way. So, there, there's just, it just feels like just people just want to, I felt like scrolling on my phone for four hours. Nobody, no, that's what you felt like. What were you supposed to do? Okay? That's what you felt like, okay. No, but I, I really, like, I felt it within me, like, the connection. Be- I don't care about the connection. The real issue is what is God's law? What does God say? I don't really care about your, your, your feelings. Your feelings. Your feelings will come and go. Your feelings will lead you this way and that. What does God say? That's what you need to, to put your life on. What does God say? And then you need to now try and fashion and change and work out your feelings to respond to God in the way that is worthy of God. You with me? 
Your feelings are important, but your feelings are not the determiner of how you go and how you live. Okay? We, we, we need to be these robust, holistic people. doesn't matter what I desire. What matters is what God says. Come up with at least five biblical strategies for the controlling of our own desires. Annette. Yo, Fertisa, could you just up the volume a little bit? Danke, sir. Yeah, Put together what you guys said. Live by the Spirit. So that you may not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you know what living by the Spirit is? It's not praying in tongues. <laughs> it's not going to an all-night prayer. It's not going to church every night. Okay, that's not living in the Spirit. Living by the Spirit. What is to live by the Spirit? be led by him is to have his precepts guide your life when he says be filled with the spirit he's not saying try to go to a corner and have the spirit come on you and you feel some feeling he says be led by him it means be filled by in such a way that he t- tells you and shows you what to do that's what being led by the spirit being filled by the spirit means that's what we need to be doing we need to be constantly having god's word in front of us Trusting him and praying. And here's the thing that I think you need to, you really need to think of this. You know, you are so, um, you're so focused on your performance before God. And you're not realizing that the way that that you are going to actually have victory over these sins and actually walk in this way is if he gives you the power to do so. So think about this. If you don't eat today, what's going to be the condition of your stomach when you go to sleep? Empty. Right? Hungry. Okay? If you don't draw near to Him, walk with Him, ask Him for grace, pray the daily prayer of seeking Him and asking His help, you will, you will be empty. You won't be able to stand. Hence, you fall. Why do you fall? When you fall, why do you fall? Do a, do, do a, a um, what's the medical term when we examine someone? A post-mortem. Do a post-mortem every single time you fall into a serious sin. 
And, and here's the first question you ask yourself. Did I pray this morning earnestly seeking the Lord and going near to Him? Think about that. Was I in a prayerful mood? Was I walking with the Lord? Did I consider Him today? Or was my heart and my mind far from Him? Are you with me? You will find that more often than not, sometimes it happens because temptation, because sometimes when you're walking with the Lord, then uh, uh, demonic attacks come really thick and fast, and then sometimes you fall. But uh, it's, you're not going to fall very far if you're walking with the Lord. When you fall seriously, in a serious fall, proper fall, of that particular sin that besets you, it's because you've been neglecting the Lord. So, you, you, it's, it's really not that complicated. Christianity is not very complicated. It's really this, walk with the Lord. Go to Him, ask. Do you understand? In the, in the Lord's Prayer, we are told to ask that the Lord lead us not into temptation. Did you pray today that God would not lead you to not into temptation? You see, that's the kind of thing. If today you do not pray that, Lord, lead me not into temptation, and Jesus expects you to pray that daily. Remember he said, give us today our what? Daily bread. And today, lead us not into temptation. If you don't pray that, what's going to happen to you? Why are you surprised when there's temptation? You see, pray. Pray. Draw near to him. James tells us in James 4, draw near to him. He will draw near to you. Come to him. Submit yourself to him. Resist the devil and he will flee. You with me? The excuses that we make, we're trying to make it complicated and make tons of excuses when we have not done the ABCs. We're walking with the Lord. Walking with the Lord, gleaning from him, being changed by him. I'm not saying that you're going to live some sinless life. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that you can prevent some hectic falls if you just walk with the Lord and depend on Him for strength this day. Actually think, what would it look like for me today? What would it look like for me today to wake up in the morning and truly depend on the Holy Spirit to help me to honor the Lord today? Truly have Him override my weaknesses in my flesh. What would it take? Would it take me having the, the verse that I was reading this morning? Would it take me meditating on it? Maybe memorizing it? Would it take me perhaps having reminders on my phone to pray? Would it take perhaps having reminders on my phone to meditate on specific verses when I know I'm dealing with a specific issue? Let's say this week I'm really feeling lust rise up in me and I'm just like, I'm really like, yo, lust is here. So now let me put on my phone, uh, memorize, uh, here are a few verses, memorize this verse, think on this verse, eat, chew on this verse, uh, think about this verse, maybe spend a day fasting and praying. You're you with me. Um, you, we, we need, I think one of the reasons that people don't, uh, uh, while it, it is not a, a common practice in many, especially many young Christians' lives, to not fast and pray, is because there's a, there's a warped idea of where, where, who are we to depend on. See, fasting is praying, praying is just saying, I'm going to weaken myself so that I can get God to help me with this. 
I'm going to weaken, I'm going to focus on prayer. I'm going to focus, I'm just going to keep praying and, and keep coming to him, asking him to help me with this particular area in my life. Now, the reason that we don't actually even do that is because we perhaps are a bit self-sufficient. We think we can do it without him. And we don't realize that we've gone through a number of days and months where we've become particularly weak in a specific area. And this one does not come out by, without prayer and fasting. So let me just, I'm just, again, I'm just throwing that in there. Think about having a regular time in your life of prayer and fasting specifically for the purpose of overcoming your besetting sins. Think about that and have that. See, the scripture expects you to do it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, do not deprive one another, talking to a married couple, do not deprive one another except for a time so that you can devote yourself to prayer. He assumes that Christians will be doing this. He assumes that there will be times when we say no to pleasures, legitimate pleasures, food, entertainment, and enjoyment even of our spouse. He assumes it's going to be a regular part of our lives to just say pause on these pleasures so that we can pray and seek the Lord. Are you with me? You're, 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 the, these things that, over, that overcome you, you need to, you need to fight. And you, you need God. In one sense, we say you need to fight. But really, what we're saying is you need to depend on God and plead with Him and ask Him to help you. Your growth over time in specific areas in your life is, on, is wrought by the Holy Spirit. Yeah? The Holy Spirit is the one who completes the work. He's the one who changes you. So ask Him. Spend time. Depend on Him to change you. Okay? And, and don't... Again, here's another bonus. Don't be satisfied with quick fixes. Don't, don't be satisfied with, with weak, non-internal behavior modification. Okay? Oh, well, you know, my problem is porn. So, now I've gotten rid of my phone and my laptop, so now porn is no longer a problem for me. No, it still is. It's just that you've removed it from you right now. If you have your computer again and your phone, what are you going to do? Especially in that moment when you're tempted and weak at night. Yeah? Or when you're feeling lonely, what are you going to do? You see, the, even though it's good to do those kinds of things where you take away these things, the places where you're tempted, you still need to deal with the root issue. Why is it that I get lonely at 11 p.m. and then want to do sin? That's where you need to deal with it. Don't be happy with the fact that, well, right now, I've stretched my hand to my back so I can't sin. Are you with me? You, let's deal with the hearts and ask the Lord to help us overcome our wrong desires. I'm not going to ask the next group because we're way out of time. And rather just, just going to talk through this, this, um, this last one. <clears throat> the Israelites here, are, uh, they, they responded to the Lord when he came out uh, with this word. And they said in verse 24, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his great glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? 
for this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fires we have and still lived? You go, hear what he'll say and speak to us, and we will hear and do it. This is the attitude that they had. They had an attitude of commitment to hearing God's word, born, coming out of fearing God. In Isaiah 66, this is a great memory verse. Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. Okay? The earth is my footstool. There's nothing you can do for me. The heavens are mine. What can you give me? What can you make for me? To this man I will look. He who is contrite of heart and does what at my word trembles, shakes. The one whom, when I speak, that person shakes. You know what shaking is? It's shaking. It's God has spoken. Okay, let's do it. You understand? The idea there is that God is the commander of the universe. And the one whom his eye is upon is the one who treats him like the commander of the universe. Our, as we have heard all of these commandments, um, our uh, meditation and our hearts must be that of swift and quick obedience. We must commit, he says here, to hear it and to do it. So you see what they say here? They say, you go and hear from God and then come back to us. We will hear and we will do it. Go and hear, get the word, bring it to us. We'll listen to it. Okay? We will make sure that we hear it. Meaning that we will prepare ourselves to hear it. We will ensure that we have our notebook so that we can hear it. We will make sure that we do not let any of the words that come from God fall to the ground. We will hear it. There's some side application here. You know what the side application is? What are you doing at 1 a.m. on Sunday morning? How are you going to hear the word the following morning? Why are you awake playing video games at 1 a.m. on Sunday morning? Why are you awake studying at 1 a.m. on Sunday morning? When, you, when God's word is going to be given to you the following morning. Think about this. Again, it's just a general rule. Think about it. You need to prepare yourself to hear God's word. And you know that you struggle to listen even to a lecture if you haven't slept properly. If you have only two hours of sleep, you're not going to hear the lecturer. So how are you going to hear God's word on Sunday morning? You see what I'm saying? Again, I'm just, this is just general, uh, not a law. I'm just saying you need to think about that. If, you, if you're committing to hear God's word, then then that means that you need to make sure that everything around you is, is at the right level so that you can hear God's word. Which means that you need to know that you're weak, you have a weak flesh, so you need to be rested so that you can hear God's word properly the following Sunday morning. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but all I'm trying to say to you is you just need to think. You can't say to me that you're up at 3 a.m. on Sunday morning and then, and then when you come here on Sunday morning when the sermon is being preached, you're not going to fall asleep. Because I see you when you're falling asleep. I know those who fall asleep. I can name them, I won't. Just to protect them. But I, I know, when you fall asleep, are you hearing God's word? You see, you need to prepare yourself. 
to hear God's word. You see? So, 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 so rather sleep so that you can hear God's word. Even when you're studying God's word, make sure that you're actually studying God's word. There's none of this like, oh, I'm, I'm reading God's word here, but in the background, I'm watching Liverpool. No. No, if you want to watch Liverpool, fine. Sit down, watch Liverpool, and then be done and listen to God's word. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's just those kinds of things. Don't, don't distract yourself. Fight against the that's, that's why we have crash for small distracting babies. You say, let's take these kids, the small ones, the ones that can't be controlled, let's put them in there so that we can hear God's word. But not only here, there's also there's a hearer who does what? Does not do the word. So you need to commit not only to hear it, but to do it. And this is where I want to hit on it. Do it. Do it. It is much better to not hear God's word than to hear it and not do it. You know this? The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, was completely annoyed with people who knew God's word and didn't do it. It's the only people that he clearly was annoyed by. That they, they hear it and then they find ways to not do it. You remember when he said to these guys, you guys, you, you guys know God's, what God's word says, but yet you've twisted it and put your traditions on top of it so that you cannot do what God's word says. You guys love so much more some laws, but you don't love the other laws. It says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You've completely forgotten about mercy. You only want sacrifice. You see and then he says, and the worst, the, the, it's, it's even the worst thing, one of the worst things that he says is when Jesus pronounced those woes, those curses. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Tyre and Sidon. Because if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen what was happening today, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Here I am, the word of God in front of you, and you guys are not repenting. So it would be much better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you on the day of judgment. See the point? It's much better to not hear God's word and be fine. Just be like, ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> no, don't tell, please don't rebuke me. No, no. Just rather don't take the rebuke. Stay away and say, very last, I didn't know. Then to know and not to do it. James has a lot to say about that. You, you're like a man who goes to a mirror and forgets what you look like. So let me encourage us, dear saints, that as God's people, as we've studied these laws, that we would, we would take them and apply them. Um, that as we, that we look at the Ten Commandments as God's law and God's word to us, that we would not be those um, who are quick to hear it, very slow to do it. But rather that we would be those who are quick to hear it, and striving to do it. We might be weak. There are going to be times when we fail. It's going to happen. There are going to be times when we're weak. There's going to be those times where our flesh fails us. And praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is um, our sacrifice. He is the one who kept the law hold completely for us. Praise God for Him. Uh, but we must not use that grace, Jesus Christ, in a way that was not designed for it. He died for us. He kept the law for us so that we can follow him.
so that we can be his disciples. May God help us in this. Is there any questions before we, we close? Any question about the whole topic of any of the laws coveting anything? All right. That's, oh, yeah, well. It is, it, it, you, you need to have a healthy, um, a, a healthy attitude of reference checking your, your desires. Okay, this is how I'm feeling right now. Is this right? Let me check. This is how I'm feeling right now. Is this the right feeling to have or no? Is this, this is what I want right now. Is this the right want to have or no? And then when you find out that it is right, if it is right, then pursue it uh, in a manner that is legitimate. Because again, there is the other problem of wanting the right thing at the wrong time or in the wrong way. Are you with me? Um, uh, but if it is right, then pursue it, uh, trust God for it, uh, pray for it, uh, ask the Lord to help you with it. Um, there are certain... It's interesting... Uh, just final comment here and I'll let you go. There are certain things that there are absolutely no qualifications for in terms of when you should want them, how much of them should you want. You can have as much of them as you want. So food is a good thing, but there's a limit and there's a time for it. Uh, marriage is a good thing, but there, there's a time for it, etc. Uh, a phone is a good thing, but again, it could not be the time. But holiness, yeah, uh, overcoming my evil desires. There's no, uh, Jonathan Edwards says, there is absolutely no space for temperance in spiritual feasting. There's no, there's no space to say, let me do this just so much. Let me just be holy just in Jigangaga. You know, let me, let me just, let me, let me, let me just be, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, let me not be a liar just to a limit. Let me lie on you sometimes. But let me not be, a, you know what I mean? You, you, you are free to go to God. If you see within yourself desires that are evil, you are free to go to God to ask that he would help you to overcome them and to ask him and ask him. And the scripture says that if you trust him and ask him, come to him and ask in his name, the things that align, of course, with His will, He will give them to you. Yeah? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ.
Um, he is the one who kept your law perfectly. So that for us as weak people might be redeemed um, and called to live like he did. We thank you, Lord, that there is coming a time in the new heavens and the new earth when we are completely transformed and live a righteous life completely like he did. Without sin, without wrong desire, without covetousness, without a misplaced glance. But until then, until you bring us to glory, we pray that you would be with us by your Spirit, that you'd enable us to walk in your law, that you'd enable us to fight our desires that are evil, that you'd enable us to not covet, that you'd help us um, to be aware of ourselves and see ourselves when we're acting in ways that are not in line with your word, and that by your Spirit you'd come alongside us and change us and work in us and make us more into the image of your Son. It is in his name that we trust you. It's because of his work that we can come to you. It is because of what he has done that we are so confident. Um, because the Son of Man uh, became cursed for us, we who deserve to be cursed, we deserve to be thrown aside, destroyed. But he was cursed for us. Our sins were laid on him that his righteousness might be ours. We come to you on the basis of his work. We come to you on his finished work. The work that has nothing left, uh, no uh, uh, imperfection in it. The work that was completed, completely. That was, uh, that did all the corners cleaned the whole room, left nothing to be done. It is because of that work that we are able to come to you. And we're so thankful for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sorry.